Welcome back to the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content manager at Theopolis Institute. Theopolis trains you to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. In this episode, Peter Lightheart, Alistair Roberts, Jeffrey Myers, and James B. John are going to have a discussion around community during the time of pandemic. This is a follow-up to their discussion that they had last week on the podcast about worship in the pandemic, and we recommend that episode to you. For more information about our work and the articles from this week, please check out the links in the show notes. We want to thank you so much for listening, and we hope that you enjoy this episode. And here are Peter Lightheart, James B. John, Alistair Roberts, and Jeffrey Myers discussing community during the time of pandemic. Welcome to the Theopolis Podcast. I'm Peter Lightheart, and I'm here today with James B. John, Jeff Myers, and Alistair Roberts. Brian Motes, as usual, is maintaining the technical side of things, making sure everything gets recorded and edited together for your listening. We're taking a break from our usual uh, biblically-focused podcast to do a couple of episodes about the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, last episode, we talked about uh, worship in a time of pandemic and talked about uh, questions surrounding what worship is for, uh, Eucharist, whether we should do the Eucharist over Zoom, and uh, what kinds of principles should guide those kinds of decisions among churches. Uh, We anticipated some of what I want to discuss today with the guys, um, and that is community in a time of pandemic. How do we maintain church life, body life? That's something that we addressed to some degree last time, but I think uh, we have some other uh, has some other things we can add to that discussion. Uh, but then I also want to uh, raise the question of how uh, we can kind of flip the uh, flip this current situation into an opportunity for more engagement uh, with those who are nearest to us, our neighbors, our local communities. Everyone's uh, stuck at home, more or less. And that might give us some opportunities, uh, even with the um, the distancing restrictions. It might give us opportunities to serve in ways that we wouldn't otherwise. How do we capitalize on that and take advantage of the situation? Uh, that's one other thing I want to talk about. Uh, but then the other thing we, we're going to discuss, or attempt to at least, is to think beyond the immediate crisis. When things have calmed down and the stay-at-home orders are no longer in place uh, and businesses are up and running again, should we expect everything to go back to the pre-pandemic normal If not, what kind of changes will have taken place because of the pandemic? What kinds of changes are semi-permanent? And again, the question is, how can the church take advantage of that new situation, whatever it might be? If we can imagine what it might be, then we will be a step ahead in trying to address it. Uh, So we want to to try to speculate, put on our tinfoil prophetic hats, and try to think about uh, what's coming beyond the pandemic. But on the first question about... um, body life and uh, service within the church. I know, Alistair, you've been busy with your local church there in uh, Stoke-on-Trent, uh, and maybe you could say a little bit about how you how you all went about handling things and what you've been doing to uh, help to cultivate body life at your home church. Yes. Well, one of the first things we did was to set up Zoom conference calls on a regular basis. First of all, to see how people were doing, to pray for each other, and then to have meetings um, where we would have sermons and um, some sort of worship to the extent that we could. So 
that required quite a lot of practical work just since the church that I attend most of the members would be older a lot of just <laughs> giving people the technical skills to be able to set up zoom on their computers to connect with other people um also within the community so not just helping them to connect to the gathered meeting but to connect to each other so that was one of the first things that we had to do then we had a network set up of phone numbers so every single person was connected to three or four other people that they had to keep in regular contact with by phone um to ensure that people don't just drop out um so that was the next thing that we did and practical things like making sure that people who are in a position of need have someone who's actively assigned to them or a group of people that will be able to get shopping for them things like that um beyond that having um regular times just where we do things together so for my family and also for other members of our church we've had meals together over Skype for instance and those can go on for a long time the one we had on on Easter Sunday lasted for 3 hours um and just talking with each other and inviting people to join us so it's been a delight actually to have those sorts of meals where we're limited in many ways but then in that limitation there are new possibilities so we've been able to have for the last few Sundays my wider family being present so able to invite my uncle and aunt on Sunday my brothers in Germany and France and their families were able to join us so it felt like it was a really rich communal event even though we're all very distanced from each other mm. so thinking of those sorts of things beyond that thinking about your immediate neighborhood i've heard of some people who've gotten together in a neighborhood and well socially distanced singing a song together a well-known hymn something like amazing grace um beyond that i think there are a great many just practical um things that people can do for each other and just being aware of the needs and um, there are a lot of people who be who will be feeling very lonely and that can be addressed just by people taking a few minutes out of their day every day and giving them a call um so trying to formalize that a bit more so that people don't drop through the cracks has been a lot of what we've been trying to do yeah and then also thinking of ways within your neighborhood connect with christians who maybe don't attend your church and see what you can develop with them. Yeah. What uh, how often do you all when you set up the Zoom network, how often do you all get together? For an actual church me- church meeting 3 times a week. Yeah. And then we'll have other things besides that. Right. And and the you said that you had the kind of systematic um breakdown so everyone's in in connection in in contact with you said three other people in the church. And each one is responsible. Three or four. Yeah. Three or four. Each one is responsible to make calls and to receive calls. Is that that's how it's working? There, you they know they're in this group and they have to just stay in touch. Yep. The other thing is we're in a smaller church, uh-huh. so you have the advantage of a lot more interaction. And every single Sunday morning or evening, we'll go through the group, and every single person will give prayer points, and we'll pray for everyone mm-hmm. um, as part of the meeting. Mm-hmm. And have you had any? Um, you said you you want to make sure you're staying in touch so there if there are needs have you had anybody that's been uh, tested positive within the congregation and 
What have you been able to do, if so? We have had a few who have been tested positive. Um, in most of those cases, it's been mild. Um, we've had a couple of members with uh, family members or relatives who have died, um, but those aren't within the, imme- the immediate congregation. Um, what we have found, there's also been other sorts of needs, ar- needs arising from the situation. So a woman within the congregation had a um, nervous breakdown with the situation and another woman in the church was able to take her into her home. So situations like that, um, being able to have a swift response has made a difference there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the, the a systematic response like you're describing sounds like a, a wise move. Um, you want to encourage people to be in touch and to you know maintaining the, the network of the body. But that's there's a different order of responsibility when they just hear exhortations to do that. And when they're assigned a task, you have to stay in touch with these three other people and they're all going to stay in touch with you. That's a different order of uh, obligation. And I think that uh, trying to, trying to organize and systematize that sounds like a, like a really, a really good idea. You mentioned the contact with, with neighbors. My little contribution to the neighborhood has been, uh, we live on the edge of a, uh, neighborhood in north of Birmingham, Alabama, and really before the before any severe shutdown was in place in Alabama, the pandemic was already in the news, uh, and I walked down to uh, my nearest neighbor and invited him to pray every morning. I knew he was a Christian. I knew him uh, enough to say hello to him when he he would he would uh, do his morning walk past our house, and I would occasionally be out and say hello to him, but I hadn't really had conversations with him. So, but I knew he was a Christian went down and asked him if he'd like to pray every morning. Uh, and we then uh, included a couple of days later, we included uh, another neighbor. So we've been meeting for the last um, several weeks, every morning and uh, praying for the neighborhood, praying for Birmingham, praying for Alabama and, and the United States uh, people around the world that we know. Uh, and those are two guys that I barely knew before this. I'm getting to know them just being out on early in the morning out uh, walking down to join the prayer meeting, I've run into a couple of people who are out walking their dogs and have introduced myself. You know, the, the pandemic gives you an opportunity to uh, assume you have a shared experience here in Alabama. I can't assume that they root for the same football team because we're a deeply divided state football wise. So there's no, there's no absolute community on the basis of football, but there is, you know, everybody's in this together. So there's opportunities to, uh, say hello to neighbors, and it doesn't feel weird to introduce yourself in, in the way it might have before. So I, I think that um, my my intention in doing that was to try to make a, a, a in a small small way try to turn the the shutdown and my and our isolation into something that would be community building. One of the things we're praying for every morning is uh, that the Lord would alert us to uh, let us uh, become aware of any needs sicknesses within the neighborhood people who have lost jobs that have economic needs. Uh, there is a, a, a community Facebook group. We've invited people on that Facebook group to come join us for prayer and to put up uh, needs if they have any. Uh, so my hope is that we can uh, continue this beyond the immediate crisis and try to you know, still meet together, even, even when we're no, no longer praying every day for victims of the coronavirus and the economic problems. To meet together because there'd be plenty of things to pray for. And hopefully that can become a, a way to 
connect uh, the three of us connecting more with the neighborhood, deeper, more deeply with our neighbors, and finding ways to serve. If you are if you are an introverted, if you're an inf- introverted Presbyterian reform pastor, what you need is a extroverted five year old grandson who will sit on the front porch with you, and because everybody's out walking. He runs out to the sidewalk, says, hey, how you doing? My name's Chase. How's thing, how are things going? <laughs> and, that, and that kind of pulls me into it. Uh, and it is something, you know, something pretty amazing. We're all normally, we're all decondensed into our homes in the suburbs. But this yeah. has brought people together. And I've, I've met lots of neighbors that I didn't know before. And everybody's fairly cheerful. Ordinarily, when people are out walking or running, they're just looking straight ahead and not looking at anybody else. But I think being uh, sequestered in their homes, people long to talk with someone. So it's been helpful. I mean, talking to you guys, I get the impression that our lockdown um, orders and, and guidelines are more restrictive than, than yours. So mm. I'm not feeling comfortable just inviting people round to the house to pray or something because we, we've been told not to and to avoid yeah. all non-essential things like that. And even, I mean, if you're out on a morning walk or something, it seems to have become quite normal for the person who you would be walking past to cross over to the other side of the road or or something. Um, and it, it's, um, yeah, it, it feels a lot more restrictive over here, which has been difficult i mean i've sort of had some conversations in in the garden with neighbors which which has been good but people haven't wanted to carry on with them for so long although maybe maybe that's just when they're talking to me i'm I'm not sure (laughs) (laughs) london has been hit a lot harder than other parts of the uk but even here um i think there have been a lot of restrictions placed even on walking outside Mm. um so I've stayed inside my house or um, in the backyard within the last week. I've only been out once to get shopping for um, family and others, but it's been fairly limited. I think one of the things that we do have to offer at this time is the fact we're not just concerned with gathered worship. We also have a tradition of common worship that we can bring to a time like this, where we're not actually meeting together, but we're reading the same passages, we're praying the same prayers, and we're doing it as part of a daily liturgy of the church's life. And a recovery of that, I think, has been quite exciting to see, and more generally, and it's really coming into its own at a time like this, where people are realising this is something that we can share together in our limited situation. We can still practice common prayer, even if we can't do gathered worship. And that is something that Theophilus has always um, emphasized, even beyond its emphasis on the gathered covenant renewal service. And we can put a plug plug in here for for Alistair's uh, daily uh, lectionary meditations, which would be an enhancement of anyone's, um, anyone's, uh, Common prayer, private devotions, uh, family family worship, uh, and Brian will put a, a link in the uh, podcast notes. We we have synchronized our Bible readings to some extent as a 
church and then had some conversational Bible studies around them, which has been a, a nice thing just to know that while we're apart, we're thinking over and reading the same texts and then having things to share about them when we come together. And that's something we haven't normally done as a church, but which I've benefited from a great deal. Mm-hmm. Ordinarily, we have to wait for missionaries to come home on furlough, to meet with them, to talk with them, to get a report, to ask some questions. Uh, but with Zoom, these past two weeks, I have set up a Zoom conference during our ordinary Sunday school hour, and we have um, had you know thirty people on a Zoom conference talking to uh, Wes Baker one week, talking to Graham Purcell uh, for about an hour and a half. Uh, And then I recorded that um, and sent it out to the whole congregation. That has been very well received. And it's one of those things, I don't know why I didn't think about this before, but the, the missionaries love it. The people were able to ask questions and see faces. And um, so um, I don't think I came up with that idea myself. I think I, I heard someone else doing it, but it's a great idea. Yeah. One thing we found has really made a difference in a more elderly congregation is the opportunity for people who are shut-ins normally to join the service. So that's been the case for a number of people within our congregation who would not usually be able to make it to a Sunday morning or evening service, they've been able to join us over Zoom. And hearing how they're doing has been a blessing for us, and it's really been a huge blessing for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's, uh, I mean, one of the factors I, I realize is, is simple convenience. If uh, there's a, a Wednesday evening prayer meeting, and I have to go to church to join in, uh, in, in normal circumstances, pre-pandemic pandemic circumstances, I have to contemplate uh, how much patience I have for the traffic that I'm going to encounter. I'm going to have to get cleaned up, you know. You have to uh, uh, wear something that uh, doesn't doesn't smell like I've been wearing it for a day or two. If I'm on a if I'm on a Zoom prayer meeting, um, at, at this point at least, they don't have the technology to communicate aromas, so I'm uh, I'm I'm good on that score. Um, <laughs> if I have a presentable ch- shirt on and a relatively clean face, then I'm uh, I'm good to go. Um, I mean, there's a danger in that because you get used to the convenience, and then you you'd want to want to continue that. But uh, I think we probably had more more regular involvement with the prayer meetings. We we've been doing a prayer meetings every Wednesday evening as a home fellowship group. Uh, I lead a a small group within our congregation, and uh, some of those people would come to the to the live Wednesday prayer service, but some wouldn't on a regular basis. I I didn't do it as regularly as I have been since. I can do it without having to take a shower. <laughs> I wanted to also in the last few minutes we have here. I wanted to to speculate and think about, particularly on this issue of community and um, a church community. What kinds of things might we expect to be happening over the next six months or year, or perhaps there are going to be some permanent alterations in the pattern of life? What might those be? And uh, how how do we get prepared to respond to those faithfully uh, in a way that um, uh, doesn't, uh, instead of seeing them as simply as obstacles, 
they might be obstacles to the way we've always done things, but they aren't necessarily obstacles to actual effective ministry. So, um, how do we how do we find ways to to uh, to uh, I, I guess take advantage of whatever opportunities are going to come up? And I'm, I know Alistair has thought a lot about the the aftermath. So maybe he can he can get a start us and provoke some provoke some thoughts. Well, I think there are a lot of things that have been thrown into uncertainty by um, the coronavirus, and to an extent, the aftermath will be a result of how we respond, not just something that's inevitable. So at the outset, I think we need to consider what habits we are building up now, because we have a chance when we are experiencing this disruption to develop something that will enable us to respond well. It's one of the things that um, marketers often think about. When is that time when people's habits are enough unsettled that they'll be able to consider a new product or a new um, supermarket to go to as their regular supermarket. And for some, that's at the time of a pregnancy. Sometimes it will be buying a new house. One of these disruptive events. And coronavirus is a disruptive event, not just for us as individuals, but for us as whole communities. And so that's the first thing I would think about. What are some of the habits that we can put in place right now that will help us? So I would suggest getting to know your neighbors, forming a network within your local streets, neighborhood, whatever it is, trying to connect the life of the church, not just through the um, sort of astroturfing of a community from a central location, but thinking about what it would look like to have a grassroots community that gathers extra strength as it joins together as a collected body. And that is something that we have time to do now. We're forced back to those grassroots. And so what happens next is partly in our hands. So that's the first thing. I think the other thing is there's going to be changes in the way that just basic customs. I think people will wear masks a lot more habitually. We'll have a lot more wariness about physical contact. That's something as a church we need to think more carefully about um, because physical contact and greeting matters to us. And I don't think we should just resign ourselves to the idea we're not going to shake hands anymore. We're not going to give each other the kiss of peace. That is something that we need to think carefully about how to do these things safely um, and to be continuing in the practice of physical contact. I think a lot of people will experience mental health issues um, that will have been provoked by this or exacerbated by it. We need to be prepared for that. I think the economic effect will be considerable and there will be a long-term downturn, which will require a lot of gathering together of the community's resources to assist people in this time. And I think people will also feel a great deal of their spiritual need that they've not experienced, um, perhaps in the past. In a time of civilizational um, growth, we don't really feel the humbling that we feel at a time like this that brings us to our knees. And I've seen a number of people already respond in a greater degree of openness to the gospel and people who are Christians humbling themselves in response and their faith growing. So I think that's an opportunity for us to grasp onto. There are many, many other practical things that I think will change. We'll consider reconsider supply lines, repatriating certain things in terms of industry and supply. Um, 
we'll be a lot more wary about long distance travel, other things like that. But for the church's life, I think those are some of the most immediate things. It's a time now you can develop neighborhood connections and those connections in your neighborhood can start to feed into the life of the church as well and vice versa. Who knows what it's going to be like in two, three months or a year, but I think you're all right that there's going to be some pretty big changes um, in culture and politics, uh, some of them probably not very good. But it seems to me like the church needs to be stable and certain. If everybody's uncertain, the church ought to emphasize certainty, stability. We ought to be doing what is central. We ought not to be changing a lot of things, at least now I'm thinking about Sunday morning, the service, so that people can feel like, well, okay, everything around me is pretty crazy, but when I come to church and enter the Lord's presence, I'm being drawn into his presence graciously, as I have always been, and I can trust his promises. And maybe the other thing the church needs to do is make sure that we're coming back to the central uh, rituals and the central uh, teachings of the scriptures, Nicene Creed, Apostles' Creed, uh, the gospel stories. Um, Sometimes eh, the church gets off on all sorts of tangents, uh, seemingly practical. Uh, But I think when people come back to church, they're going to want the basics. They're going to want something to stand on, something solid. Um, And we need to be prepared to give that to them. Yeah, a lot of what Alistair was naming uh, is uh, comes under, at least in the Presbyterian world, under the bailiwick of the diaconate, um, talking about uh, economic consequences, uh, both for people in the church and uh, serving people outside. Um, Talk about mental health issues. I think that's an important one, Alistair, that... uh, again, kind of comes up the under the heading of the di- diaconal ministry of the church and how we can minister to those who are um, frail, weak, needy, uh, that, uh, that, that need not only the gospel and the life of Jesus, but also need practical kinds of help. So it seems like a uh, diaconal st- strategizing is an important part of, uh, important part of the, the, the kind of habits that you want to develop in the present, as you said, Alistair, so that their diaconate is ready to hit the ground running uh, when the opportunities and the the needs begin to manifest themselves. One thing which strikes me as important is just continuing the normal routines of growing in scripture and in theological training and theological thought in ways which kind of well can help us in in the future. So. Jeff mentioned the point of some theological courses or schools of thought not perhaps having given much attention to what worship is and what the gathered church means and signifies and what the sacraments are. And if that's the case, then for us, for instance, in the UK, we suddenly had this uh, lockdown enforced and a church minister then might have, for instance, four or five days to think about what he's going to do on Sunday. Uh, Are the church going to break bread? Are they going to sing together and and so forth? And 
if you've made a decision like that, it can kind of become binding for future weeks, and then we don't know how long this is going to continue. And you, you can find yourself sort of doing theology on the hoof and making a quick decision with some long-term impacts and just being sort of conversant with theological issues and principles, I think, and make sure that you're well-placed to think about those things as, as and when they arise. I think along with that, the return to the fundamental practices and the attention to those, it's very easy, particularly in a context where we're so governed by the immediacy of whatever is in the news today, to be those who just react to whatever crisis comes across, across our path. But perhaps the most important way that the church can respond to a crisis like this is by digging its foundations deeper, returning to those things that are the essentials. And those things aren't the immediate response to coronavirus or any other crisis. It's those things that ground us so that when a crisis hits us, we're not unsettled by it. And we have the resources within our understanding of the faith to respond to it, whatever it is, novel or something that we predicted beforehand. And there, I think, it will be important that churches not just have lots of topical teaching on this particular issue, but return to this daily um, provision of um, common prayer and then the weekly provision of gathered worship where we're rooting ourselves in habits and rituals that will stand us in good stead when the crisis comes. Because our ability to respond to a crisis tends to rely upon the instilled habits of a lifetime. And if we've not committed ourselves to those, we'll be flailing around trying to get some medicine, as it were, to address the crisis. But the church is edified by solid food. And when it's raised by solid food, when the crisis comes, it won't need the same medicine that others need, the severe um, treatment of each individual issue topically. You don't need that if you've been raised on solid food of the Christian faith and develop the habits. And that, I think, is where we must major, which is where we should always major. That's exactly what I wanted to say. You put it so much better, Alistair. <laughs> uh, let me ask a question kind of uh, from the opposite direction. What can we anticipate the mistaken responses might be uh, from from the church? Uh, Jeff kind of touched on this. All of you have kind of touched on it, but what uh, maybe think more specifically about what, what kinds of things might, what kind of habits might be instilled in the present crisis that will not stand us in good stead? And how do we head those off? What can we anticipate church, how, how we, might we anticipate churches responding in uh, unhelpful ways? And again, to try to head those off. One of, one of the dangers to, seems to me is that we, uh, because of the virtual communication, is that we begin to think about uh, worship, gathering, church as merely a vehicle for the communication of ideas um, and for the engineering of emotional reactions in people. Uh, I know the word is overused, but um, there's a Gnosticism uh, that lurks here. Uh, <laughs> and it's very easy for us then to think somehow that if we're, if we're um, like we're forced to do now, if it's only about ideas and 
uh, emotions, um, then I think we're missing a whole lot with regard to the impact of rituals and doing uh, and reciting and singing uh, and face-to-face being with one another. Um, and then how we do that. How we do that is important. What we do has a huge impact on on uh, how we how how we live, who we trust, what we believe. Um, and I'm I'm afraid in this time period we might inadvertently revert back to this notion that somehow um, it's all just about ideas, doctrines or in some circles, uh, emotions. I think there are um, aspects of the church's liturgy that are very difficult to recapture in any virtual setting, Um, even beyond the bodily aspect. There's something of the solemnity, the solemn joy of gathering together that can be lost in any other context. And my hope is that to the extent that we can in the current situation, we try and retain that. And in some ways that might require going even more intensely into some practices that we'd usually adopt in order to get a sense of the solemnity of what we're doing. We should dress up for church, even if we're meeting online. Um, I've found just the practice of dressing up, it, it's very good for me. Um, Jeff mentioned earlier the physical movements. Um, engage your body in worship. That is important. And even if you're meeting online, it matters that you are not sprawled out on the sofa. It matters that you are giving this your attention, that your body is engaged, that it's not just something that's happening in your brain. Um, Beyond that, I think there is the danger of... The internet has always been like a place where sheep without shepherds can choose their own um, shepherds, which really follow the sheep where they want to go. And in this period of time, it's very difficult for shepherds to guard their flock. And so I'm hoping that we do not get into the habit of the sort of online corralling of sheep the way that it tends to happen. And we recognize the importance of local pastoral ministry. And at its best, I think the church's response to this will actually exemplify why that is so important. But my fear is that in many situations, people will be turning to online pastors and ministries and lose a sense of just how much it matters to have a local community where people are rebuking, correcting, exhorting you, encouraging you, and local pastors and elders um, to be able to oversee you. We should also be realistic about community. We often talk about community in romantic, kind of sentimental ways. But community is not easy. And also, community is often not wanted by people. I mean, um, we have to remember that death, uh, one of the manifestations of death is the disassociation with people. Um, C.S. Lewis, remember in his book, The The Great Divorce, uh, imaginatively uh, envisions hell as being like the settlement of, of people that continue to move away from one another farther and farther because they're just hateful people. They don't like to be around other people. They love themselves, but they don't love others. And so ultimately, hell is 
utter and complete social distancing and isolation. So, uh, and that that's just true in the Bible. If you think about the spread of death, the reign of death, it uh, it fractures families. It 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 uh, disintegrates, disintegrates uh, people from one another, and there's something about that that fallen man enjoys, likes, uh, and I'm, I confess, uh, and it's not just because I have some introverted kind of tendencies, that being alone and at home with my books in front of my computer is easier than being with other people. And so there's going to be this, um, there's going to be this challenge to get people to reconnect uh, because uh, sin, uh, sin enjoys isolations, uh, and and we we need to be careful about that as pastors. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.